This podcast was created by the Arts and Junior Cycle team for the Junior Cycle Talks channel. In this episode, best-selling author Kit Duval talks about her favourite classic novels, her writing process and why she loves audiobooks. We hope you enjoy listening. I do remember very well Great Expectations and thinking how I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved the threat of Miss Havisham. I loved the convict. I've memorised entire passages for my exam. And I used to mimic Joe Gardry, who's a blacksmith in, in, the, in the book. And he used to say, what larks, Pip? And I used to just walk around saying, what larks? And just loved the story. When you did leave school then, you actually had a variety of jobs, including, yeah. I've read, being a backing singer. Yes. Um, how did you go from having all these different sorts of jobs to being a writer? So my first job was for the princely sum of £20 a week. I was the secretary to a man that chain smoked. He was from Cork, actually. We used to export hospital bedsteads to Abu Dhabi. And all I did all day was type bills of lading. And no one knows how bad that is. That is literally soul destroying. From then on, I had a a number of secretarial jobs that were basically painful. Then I worked the Crown Prosecution Service, always becoming sort of more um, proficient, so a a better administrator. And I worked in criminal law for about 15 years. Then I worked for social services, and I did that for maybe 10 years. Then I adopted a a little girl. Then I adopted a little boy and he was very ill and I had to stop work. By now I was 41. And so when I adopted my son who was ill and I had to give up work, I started to write. And I really started to write out of boredom. I was bored, stiff. By that point, I was a really good reader. I read hundreds and hundreds of books. And I thought it'd be easy, to be honest. Um, And I was shocked that I wasn't better in my arrogance. So I just had to keep at it and work very, very hard to become any good. Good. Would there be any particular writers, like you were saying, you, re- you started reading hundreds of books at that stage. Any writers that you would say have influenced your writing, your own writing? Yes. Graham Greene, definitely. Arnold Bennett, definitely. Gustav Flaubert, definitely. And more contemporary, Donal Ryan, who I think is a genius, Sebastian Barry, genius. I know these are all men and I'm embarrassed about that, but <laughs> can't help it. I love Molly Keane. Oh, my goodness. I love Molly Keane's books. I discovered those quite late. Yeah, I think it, it's that sort of turn of the century, turn of last century. Um, novelists really interest me. And the, the, the word smithery of people like Donald Ryan, massively. Uh, I mean, not so much inspire me as make me very jealous. Your debut novel, My Name is Leon, that was informed very much by your knowledge, your experiences of social work, the care system in England. Do you always write then from what you know, your own kind of life experiences? And is that something you'd advise aspiring writers to do? I don't always write from my own life experiences. I've never been in the care system, although I know a lot about the care system. My second novel was about a woman who'd had a stillbirth. I haven't had a stillbirth, although she's more or less the same age as me. And it was was set in Birmingham. So I think for most writers, there's always a kernel of something that you know or something you feel. 
even if you're writing science fiction, even if you're writing fantasy or you're writing about vampires, what you will do as a writer is you will inject into that how you feel about relationships. And so whatever you think about relationships will be in there. In that respect, we all write what we know. Because if you believe in you know, the goodness of people, or this is how people behave, or this is how it feels to be angry, that's what you will put into your book. Sometimes it's informed by what I know, but not always. And I don't think it's as important as people make out. I heard another phrase where somebody said, don't write what you know, write what you believe to be true. So write what you believe to be true about the world, what you believe to be true about falling in love, what you believe to be true about fathers and daughters or whatever. So I think that's what I try to do. And that's the advice I'd give to anyone that's starting to write. Write some so such an authentic place with you in your heart, whether that's the subject matter or whether that's your opinion on the world, that it sort of pumps out of you. Don't make it harder than it needs to be because it's writing's hard enough. So just write that thing that you just burn to write that only you could write because it's really from a deep place inside you. The search for identity does seem to be a very recurring theme in your books. Is that a conscious decision for you? Maybe that's the thing that pumps out of me, actually, Mm. um, because I have multiple identities, as do everybody else. I mean, it's easy to say I've got more identities just because my mom's white and my dad's black. But actually, you know, I'm... I'm a black woman, I'm an Irish woman, I'm a Brummie, I'm a woman, I'm a mother, I'm a writer. We all have different identities. Some of them are closer, if you like, than others. Uh, For for somebody like me growing up as an Irish child in Birmingham, but people used to slag Irish people off in front of me because no one's ever going to look at me and think Irish. So you'd hear the Irish joke about Irish people being thick when there was a lot of bombing going on in the UK you'd have people talk about Irish terrorists, dirty Irish, thick Irish. And they'd say these things in front of me because my identity is disguised in a lot of ways. Similarly, black people would say things about white people in front of me, not thinking I've got a white mother. So it it is a different identity. But for me, it's a whole identity, as it is for everybody. I don't feel split down the middle or split into fractions. I feel like a whole single person. That's great. When you're beginning to write a story, do you start with a theme or a setting or a character? How do you start? Music plays a big part. So I don't think I've ever written anything that hasn't come from a line in a song. But also, I'm a watcher. I love to watch people and everybody loves to watch people. You know, you can watch, go to a cafe or a bar or a park And you look at someone and you think, look at his shoes, or why is he doing that? Or are they having an argument? That's the best one, obviously, if you're watching two people have an argument. Just the same way as when you walk into a room, you can tell if there's been or if there is an argument or an atmosphere. No one tells you anything. There's no words, but you walk in, you go, oh, what have I walked into? Something to do with the vibe and the body language. So for me, I will always start at that place, really, where something's moved me, affected me, made me think. And again, for writing stories, 
people should never think they have to start with once upon a time or that you start at the beginning. Start with a scene that you just think is fascinating. There's a really good um, uh, rule for writing where it says, sorry, get in late and leave early. That's talking about a scene. So you get into the scene, sort of meet the scene as it's happening. What are people doing? What are people saying? And then get out of the scene as soon as possible. So for anyone starting to, or even thinking about writing, just start with something you've seen. What did you see yesterday? What did you wear yesterday? What did you eat? Did you see an argument? Did you nearly, did you see a crash? Something that you just got your attention. And it can be minute. It has to be something that just you saw and you, you remembered. I've also read that you genuinely love the process of writing. Yes. What, what is it about that process then that excites you the most? I just love words. I love playing with words. So uh, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was listening to, uh, I, I listened to a lot of audiobooks. And let me just take some time to talk about audiobooks. Audiobooks are great. And the reason they're great is because if you struggle with literacy, or even if you don't struggle with literacy, but you don't like to read, I hated reading. I would have loved audiobooks. There were no such things back in the day. Um, if you get a good reader of an audiobook, they can bring an otherwise boring book to life. It's exactly the same as reading. There's such a lot of snobbery around audiobooks. If you've listened to an audiobook, you've read the book. You don't have to say, I didn't read the book, I listened to the audiobook. No, you read the book. You read the book in the invisible words in your mind. So audiobooks have a valid, valid place as, as an expression of literature. And take it from a writer. When a writer writes a book, they are not thinking, oh, I hope people read the words on the page. A writer is thinking, I hope people get the story. So however you get the story, it doesn't matter whether it's an audiobook or someone reading it to you or you reading it yourself. It's the story that matters. And years ago, of course, every story was told in an oral tradition. Everything was an audiobook. So all stories were passed on through word of mouth. So we're only coming full circle by listening to an audiobook. They're just fantastic anyway. Thoroughly recommend them. Oh yeah, the process of writing. Yeah, what do you really like? Okay, so what I like is playing with words. So this is what I was, I was starting to tell you. I was listening to an audiobook by Sebastian Barry the other day. And so I've only got like two minutes into the audiobook and it's a, it's a scene where this baby has been born and the baby's premature and the baby's just so delicate and thin and everything. And Sebastian Barry says about the baby, he was the scrap of a song. And I paused it because I just thought, how has he done that? It's so beautiful to describe this baby as a scrap of a song, like something you just hear. It's not quite a song, it's a bit of a song. So song as in beautiful and just, but a scrap of it. I just thought, oh, made me feel sick actually. I was so good. But for me, that's what the joy is to, to play, to, to actually capture with words, the feeling of something that's very, very hard to describe. He could have spent six pages describing what this baby meant to his parents, but he just says the baby was a scrap of a song and it's done, let's move on to the next thing. So I enjoy that process playing with words. I also enjoy getting the stuff out of my head onto the page and it, it's like a dump, some of it's absolute rubbish 
and she'd never see the light of day and never does see the light of day. But some of it's just great. Like, you know, some of it's where I think I've done a good job and I've captured something that I wanted to say. Um, is there anything then about the writing process then that you find really challenging or difficult? Yes, yeah, so descriptions. So, you know, there's some writers and, and you know, Donald Ryan and Sebastian Barry and, and Anne Enright are people like this. They can describe a room. They can describe a meadow. Oh, my God. I don't care what a meadow looks like. If you don't know what a meadow looks like, read a different book. In fact, I'm not interested in anything except people. So I have to go back over my work. If it was up to me, it would be he said, she said, they did this and they did that. I don't care whether it's summer or winter, cold, warm, night or day. That has to come later. So when I first write, I will literally just write what people are doing and how they're behaving. Then I have to go back. And I wouldn't say I don't like it. It's not my best talent to describe a meadow. What size is the room? Is it night or day? What does she look like? What is she wearing? I have to put that in afterwards. That's much harder for me to do. When you are writing, how do you capture your ideas? Sometimes I will have a notebook and I will write down a notebook. I don't carry a notebook with me like lots of writers do. And it's a good idea too, but I just don't. And sometimes I won't write for two weeks, three weeks. I've got nothing to say. Just, just not happening for me. And I, I don't mind if I don't write for three weeks. Uh, and when beginning writers particularly are told to write 500 words a day or something like that. And that's good practice to begin with. But don't become a slave to anything. And the minute you start hating it, stop doing it. I mean, life's too short, really. I'm not saying go for the thing that you find easy and never challenge yourself. But if you really hate it, as I hated reading, don't do it. Find something else to do. There is nothing so wonderful about writing that it transcends everything else. There's, you know, there's art, there's sport, there's relationships, there's hairdressing, there's lots of things. Do the thing that you just think I was made to do this, do that thing, even if it's for a hobby. So I would say if you love writing, uh, and you love reading, then do that thing. Don't be beaten up by it. And don't think that, you know, the snobbery of the literary world is, is appalling, actually, that there's a hierarchy of this type of fiction, then that type of fiction. And at the bottom somewhere, there's comics and graphic novels. And then under that, there's audiobooks. That's absolute rubbish that graphic novels and comics are exactly the same as Ulysses. They're all storytelling and nothing is better than anything else. Yeah, well said. How do you know then just when a story that you've written or a piece that you've written is done, is ready to go? It's when you start moving commas. So you've been over it and you've been over it and you've been over it and you've changed that word and you've added a bit here and you've added a bit there and you get to the point where you're not adding, you're just messing around with a comma and a full stop. And I think that should be a paragraph or should that be a paragraph? Stop it, it's done. When you personally, with the talent and the skill that you have, cannot make it any better, it's finished. It may not be perfect. And when I finish a novel, as I, I've just finished a, a long 70,000 word piece of work, and I gave it to my editor, and now I've got it back. Because she can see where I can improve it, but I couldn't see where I could improve it. Okay. So giving it to someone else and getting your work edited by someone who knows what they're doing is part of the writing process. Ernest Hemingway said, all writing is rewriting. So 
writing is not, oh, I've written it down, now it can't be changed. Writing is writing it down, walking away, coming back, looking at it, changing it, making it better, making it better. Absolutely, it really is. You're currently creative writer in residence at the University of Limerick. Can you tell us just a little bit about what that role involves? Um, so it's about being around for the students, talking to students who are doing their MA in creative writing and giving them the benefit of my experience for what that's worth. Collaborating with some of the students and helping them writing in the community, for example, which I'm very passionate about. So that's taking writing, the creative writing into community settings like community groups or prisoners or, or health groups and seeing how writing can be uh, available to everybody and giving everybody in the community who may not be able to do a creative writing MA the opportunity to, to experience creative writing, which is important. I also am given lots and lots of time to do my own writing. So I, I'm writing my own work while I'm being at the university. And also being very selfish, I get to work with people like Joseph O'Connor, Sarah Moore Fitzgerald, Donald Ryan, and benefit from how they work and how they interact with their students. I'm so lucky. It's such a privilege. We're not for the pandemic, I would be over there. Uh, much more than I mean I haven't been over yet but I would have been over there a lot uh, and that's really regretful I've done you know obviously Zoom is my friend it's it's not the same as being there I'm just going to move in then to your your first young adult novel Becoming Diner so you describe that as a journey of obsession and finding yourself and um, what inspired you to write this novel well I was commissioned by Hachette Oh, okay. to, write, to write a young adult novel that was a reimagining of a classic. So I had, I mean, the classics are my thing. I absolutely adore the classics. So I had all the classics in front of me and I was going to do Great Expectations. And then I thought, actually, that's been done a hundred times. So I chose Moby Dick. And Moby Dick is the story of a, a captain of a whaling ship. And the captain of the whaling ship had a fight with a whale and the whale bit his leg off. The rest of his life is about finding that whale that bit his leg off and killing it. That's basically, he's obsessed with it. The book of Moby Dick is about this sailor uh, who gets onto the ship with the mad captain and they go hunting the white whale. Anyway, so I reimagined Moby Dick and the captain is a, a, a man who's chasing a camper van. And in the camper van is his leg because he's got a prosthetic leg that is in the camper van. The camper van's been stolen and he's chasing the camper van the way the captain chased the white whale. And the protagonist of the book is, is, is a sailor called Ishmael. And the protagonist in my book is a girl called Dinah. And she goes on the journey with the mad captain chasing the camper van across the country. Mm -hmm. Do you plan to write more young adult fiction? I've got so many books teed off. I don't know if I've got the time. So I'm just about to finish my memoir. Then I've got about three quarters of another book written. And then I have promised to write the sequel to My Name is Leon. 
just going on to my name is Leon, that's being adapted currently for BBC TV and it's being filmed at the moment, I believe, in Birmingham. Just finished, just finished. Like, how do you feel about that? And have you been involved at all in the production? I haven't been involved in the production. Uh, I mean, I went on set and I have got a little walk-on part. I mean, I hope no one notices because it's fairly embarrassing. <laughs> I went to see it being filmed, it's fantastic. Leon himself, the actor, is quite unbelievable. I can honestly say I'm so shocked they found this boy. He's absolutely perfect. Uh, I was watching him say the words that I'd written and I was just shocked. It was like, it was like getting this picture in my head on the screen. So I cannot wait to see it. But I will see it with everybody else. You know, I, I don't get any sort of special privileges. I will see it when everyone else sees it. Oh, but I think, I think we'll really look forward to that. Do you have any advice for teachers who are wanting to encourage their students to read for pleasure? You mentioned audiobooks, but even to write for pleasure. Is there any particular advice that you'd suggest for teachers to get their students a little bit more engaged? Talking about my own experience, who hated reading, hated it, hated it, just didn't like it at all. And my son's experience, my son's got severe dyslexia. I mean, thank God for Michael Morpurgo. Thank you, Michael. We listened to every single audiobook by Michael Morpurgo and Harry Potter and Treasure Island. So I would say don't despair, first of all, because, you know, I never voluntarily read a book at all until I was 23. Never, just wouldn't. So don't despair that, oh, this, this child doesn't read, that's it for him or her. They'll never come to reading. I just wouldn't, you know, despair about that and, and worry that this is going to affect them for the rest of their life. For writing, I would say it's about valuing whatever the child wants to write about, you know. So I think you have to think about what is it that they're interested in and write about that thing and value that thing. Yeah. I also think valuing graphic novels and comics, it is writing. And it's actually storytelling that we're talking about when we're talking about creative writing. We're not talking about the actual word on the page. We're talking about narrative. Does this child understand uh, the beginning, the middle and end of a story? Does this child under, understand what a protagonist is, a hero? What does a child, under, does a child understand the antagonist, the villain? That's what actually you want your ch children to understand, narrative story. What advice might you give teachers around that whole issue around encouraging diverse voices? Class is a big one for me. Here's an example. On television in England at the moment, there is yet another Pride and Prejudice. Let's have a look at Jane Austen again. Nice frocks, big country houses, underlying message, make a good marriage with a posh bloke. So I'm not saying it's not a good book, it's a great book. There are other books. And there are other books with working class heroes at the centre of those stories. Um, so for me, class is a big one. There's a, there's a great book called How Green Was My Valley. I think it was written about 1900. It's about a Welsh miner's son mm -hmm. and, and his life. And it's a celebration of his life. Of course, it's really hard. He's a miner and people are killed down the mines. But it is not an apologetic book mm -hmm. about, oh, poor people who didn't have enough to eat. It's not that, it's a celebration of a working class life. And I'd like to see more books like that written and studied. You know, books like Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, Holes, any of the works of Alex Wheatle, 
who's a black writer who who wrote Cranton Nights, okay. uh, which is YA, definitely. If you're talking about the classics, again, Love on the Doll, great book, absolutely great book. Molly Keane writes very well about being upper class and, and how that's not such a great thing. Oh, the other thing I should say is not everything has to be fiction. So if you're talking about engaging with young people about things like race, Rennie Edo Lodge's book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, is great. And it's a discussion book. It's not a narrative. It's not story. It's creative nonfiction. But it is something... Um, it might stir a child to want to write or to just think about difference. I, again, I would go to where the children are and what are they interested in? Yeah. And yeah. use that as a conduit to some of these other bigger messages. Thank you so much, Kit, for, for being with us this morning. Really, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for asking me. And for all those teachers out there that despair of children that don't read, I am an example that it's never too late and don't give up. Thank you for listening to this podcast, which was created by the Arts and Junior Cycle team for Junior Cycle Talks podcast channel. To hear more from Junior Cycle Talks, search for us on SoundCloud or anywhere you listen to your podcasts.